Hi, I'm Dale Anderson, and you're listening to the Impro Conspiracy Podcast, and today we're talking about defined movement. Conspiracy Podcast with your host, Bronnie. Hello there, my friends. What's happening? It's a Monday. It's lockdown. We're living, living large. I'm waiting on some packages from internet purchases that I made to get me through. I'm recording this on a Monday morning. It's 11 o'clock. I'm supposed to have uh, released this episode about two and a half hours ago, uh, but here we are. You know, this is, who's who's actually who's actually waking up at 9am and checking their podcast feed for the Improv Conspiracy Podcast? I don't know anyone who's doing that. Today I am speaking with Dale Anderson. He is an improviser at the Improv Conspiracy and he's one half of Hill and Dale and also an excellent animator that you can see on the internet if you go to his Instagram Dale underscore Ando. I particularly like his uh, random word generator animations. They are funny. And you can also see his work on Monster Beach on Stan at the moment. So he's an all-around professional in the arts, and he uses some of his uh, animation expertise to inform his thoughts on defined movement in improv uh, and how that informs his object work and his character work. It's a pretty good time. Let's get into it. Here's Dale Anderson, everybody. I think movement is something that's easily forgotten in improv. Uh, it seems like it'd be like an obvious thing because it's something we do so naturally. But uh, easily everyone, I think, falls into the old park and bark mentality. Uh, just stand, like Just sort of standing and shouting your funny words at someone but you forget that your funny, smart brain that you have in your head is attached to this super powerful tool for visual comedy. It's your body. You can move it around and you can do whatever you want with it. It's perfect for adding character in life to even the most mundane sort of real world scenes. Object work and allowing emotion to influence your movements, it, it brings the audience in and it makes the whole idea of improv this cool, immersive magic trick. Like it fills out the world and makes it feel incredible. People just kind of stand still and and faff about and just say funny things but you can if you've built this great world using your object work and you are there like i just love sitting in the audience and someone has done something or made a physical movement or created some kind of object work thing that they go back to and they reference like ages later in the scene and it's just this beautiful moment of like ah i remember that this is a world. I remember now where I am and I remember what's going on and you've created this whole incredible place. And if you're ever in a situation where you're just like, oh man, my character's like the boring guy and he's just like, he just stands here and he, he just says, what? That's so weird. All you have to do is just, I don't know, he's doing something weird with his hands or he's, now this guy's got a weird hunch and instantly you made yourself a, a more interesting character. I do animation as a job, and I think that I probably maybe 
more than a normal person would maybe think about movements and think about what I'm doing. And I think it's fun to do exaggerated movements and exaggerate things because it makes it very clear to the audience what's going on. And using cartoony almost movements is so fun and such a clear way to almost define absurdity. Like if you're in your kind of base reality moment and you're saying, Hey, I'm just, we're just two normal people cutting carrots, doing whatever we're doing. And then once that absurdity starts to ramp up, you can really like start to exaggerate your movements and give almost a subconscious indication to everyone. Hey, this is getting weird now. We're in the weird bit. And this is funny. Like, this is, this is cartoon world now when someone says that, I don't know, whatever, that there's a talking parrot, you're like, okay, yeah, cool. This all makes sense. And like, nobody moves like this. Nobody does anything like this. There's, yeah, it allows you to indicate without saying anything that, that things are, things are getting crazy. This is crazy times now. There's so many principles from animation that you can bring into improv of just like having a clear silhouette or, having a, making sure that your movements are really defined. It, there's nothing worse than like some kind of, someone's doing object work and, and the audience is like, what is that? What are they doing? I don't know what this is. And then you try to make a joke based on your object work and everyone's like, I don't really know even what this was in the first place. So I don't know what this joke is supposed to be. But if you're making it really clear and you're like showing and you're indicating, probably doing stuff that feels almost kind of ridiculous when you're on stage and exaggerating too much to be like, this is a key. Here I go. I'm putting it in the lock and really like adding extra flourishes. It can really help things land because people are like, oh, I get it. That's a key. It's going in this lock. I understand. It's really been... It's been, and you can probably feel like you're almost like babying people a little bit, but I think it's important to have some clarity. I remember one of my favorite compliments I ever got was I finished a swing set show and a student came up to me and she's like, there were, there was, a, there was 20 minutes where you didn't let go of a book. Mm. <laughs> and I was like, I didn't even really realize. <laughs> yeah. But it's like, I know that I initiated holding a book and I guess I, you know, I am like, I care enough to just go, I'll never like that go. I'll never, yeah. never let that go. Yeah. It's a great, like to get into your head, that kind of thing. I love every now and then I'll be watching a show and yeah, someone's yeah, whatever, holding a cup mm-hmm. and they, once the scene finishes and someone's like wipes the scene in a Harold or whatever, you see that person like put the cup down or something like over at the side because they've just got that little bit of extra stuff going on on in their head. And I can remember doing scenes early on of like, I was doing something gross. Like I had blood all over my hands or something. And I was feeling very yuck in the scene. And like Uh after it was done, I had to like wipe my hands a little (laughs) bit to be like, I have fake blood all over me. I love that because like it's a it's a hidden like X factor of improv. It's like you really notice the people who are truly treating everything as real. Like, and they never look silly. Like, you never look silly for actually giving a shit that your hands are slimy in a scene. 
yeah like it i think like in terms of like character and and building that world getting into that headspace object work can help obviously it shows that you're in there and you're really like you're like living in this moment which can help so much with yeah like you are feeling kind of what your character is feeling at that time and for me it helps remember things like people who are like oh i can't believe you remember that thing from early and i'm like oh yeah well of course i remembered it because it's associated with the book i put down over uh, there like yeah. like it's it's like that weird like like a mind palace thing of your like building this world around you which is like a like a memory device almost to be like oh well that's over there so i remember what's going on here and i remember what's going on over there because oh, totally because it's associated with objects and i think it's a common like mistake people make because it's not like as we've already sort of addressed like object work can feel a little silly and um especially when you're first learning and it's like you want me to make a tea like yeah what What am i supposed to do here yeah um and like a real mistake can can be made at that point to just consider object work as like sort of uh, a cherry on top or superfluous to the Mm. scene when like, as you're saying, I think it actually makes it easier, like in the long term, like as you learn every other thing that's important in improv, especially things like game and having a point of view or, and certainly uh, tying a show together at the end or whatever, um, the more you've actually invested in those little things, the yeah. easier all that becomes. So like the process of learning to commit to your object work is originally hard, but like you're making the overall job way easier, I think. Yeah, definitely. Like, I think it can, for sure, at the start, when you're trying to juggle so many different things, it can feel like this extra thing where you're like, well, I'm trying to remember to do this and this and this, but I also have to remember what a knife feels like in my hand. (laughs) I can't do that right now. I'm just going to stand here and talk to someone. Yeah. Which is, it can work fine, but I think, yeah, building that up as you go has a good base that you always remember to do it and it becomes like a like a grounded part of your scene work when i felt the most lost in scenes is when i come off and i'm like i don't even know where i was or like if i was going to do object work i don't even know what i would begin to do because it's like where was i and also scenes where like even if it's established that i'm kind of like in the middle of a room i'll feel kind of weird because i'm like what am i what am i doing like what am i touching I feel like sometimes I'll end up like my object work in quotes for the scene is me just like touching a wall or like just <laughs> running my hands along a wall to be yeah. like, this is the edge of the room. Yeah. And now I know where I am and I'm like, oh, okay. So the corner's here and I'm in the corner for some reason. Why am I in the corner? Oh, I'm what kind of guy would be in the corner? And then it allows you that like, oh, I'm maybe I'm like scared of this person or this is influencing my opinion of who I am and what's going on to be like, Oh, I'm here. I think that's a, a really important point to say, like it doesn't, what we're talking about doesn't mean you need to get busy in all your scenes. Yeah. Like, you don't need to be like, you don't need to be fixing the car. And by the end it needs to be running. It's like, don't light a fire in every single scene. <laughs> yeah. But just touching something can really help. It's also goes down to like the real length of time things take. Like, um, you know, if you are making breakfast in a scene, like if you put the toast on, just you can know that the toaster is toasting. And like yeah. even just having that and it might never pop before the scene ends. 
but like don't you don't burn that little nugget uh, or log, I should say, because if you yeah, if you then just go like oh toast is out, butter it, butter it, butter it, here it is, and I've done all the business of that, and I actually haven't like. I'm not therefore I'm not committing and I'm not like present properly in the scene. Whereas if I just turn a kettle on or put the toast down and then just talk to you, that's done a lot of it's done a lot of work for me as an improviser, but also the audience is like getting a way better picture. Yeah, we know where you are, we know what's going on. You're really establishing these things subconsciously in a way that you don't necessarily have to be like, Hello, housemate, here I am in the house. <laughs> yeah boy like you can just be like oh god i hate that <laughs> you can't like you came home late last night like oh that's cool like giving these subtle indications of what's going on there's nothing there's nothing that grinds my gears more than like a, well here we are in hawaii <laughs> i love hawaii oh I boy love... we've been skiing for so long <laughs> uh so many things that don't need to be said your point before about being concerned of playing the boring character, uh, which is sort of, um, it's a real sad part of like learning game uh, is that people then assume if they're not the absurd person that their role is robotic and boring and just like procedural. And I think that's like a really bad outlook (laughs) on like, because I think you can have heaps of fun as the straight man or straight person in a scene. Um, and you can, and I think if you, if you resign to the fact that you're the boring one, who's just going to be like, that's weird. Then you're actually not helping heighten anything or you're not making it easier for your scene partner. Do you have any thoughts on it? Yeah. Like I think definitely as a straight person, if you're playing the straight character, you can feel like you're just kind of the NPC or the, like the non-player character of, of this scene where it's just, I'm just here. And every time this person pokes me, I give them some information and then they go play the game with that information. And you don't have to be, you don't just have to be like a setup machine. You can, you can, you're there to provoke this person and create new things. But yeah, like you can just add like a, add a distinctive way that you are as a person and instantly you have become a more interesting character and a more, filled out character just because you're the straight person in this scene and you are supposed to be not absurd doesn't mean that you don't have to you don't have any quirks you're still like a human being Mm, yeah like you can and it can help so much in that thing of you're not always pushing the game like you push the game twice and then you have a moment where, oh, you agree with this absurd person for like one beat and you're like, oh, okay, well, I get what you mean by that. Obviously, pigeons are freaky and we are all (laughs) scared of them. That's terrifying. But I don't think that we should murder all the pigeons. (laughs) Like, and then you jump back into, and then that person's like, well, I think we do. And then you jump back into your regular game because you've defined yourself as like, oh, I'm a person and, and I like this person and I want to, I want to understand their point of view, but. Because it's also the more that you define who you are, helps you define who you are to them and helps you then have like a richer way of like eking out more mm. of their absurdity, right? Because like the way that the boss reacts to the murdering, to to the wanting to murder pigeons is different to the way that the 
significant other reacts and the way yeah the, different to the way their mother reacts um you know like if we saw that pigeon person maybe they work uh at a buddy wildlife sanctuary and there's a buddy bird oh boy <laughs> a now bird. this is a scene <laughs> i'm just trying to give this pigeon, this pigeon <laughs> yeah, killer no, yeah. some context <laughs> maybe um, they have a reason for, for doing what they do you know, and the boss of the of the workplace where all the pigeons are might be like, yeah, well, this this significantly affects me for these reasons. And whereas the the wife of that character might be like, hey, look, if it, if killing the pigeons is going to make your workplace a safer space, then I'm all for it. Yeah. <laughs> and then, so it's like, A, you have a different take on the absurdity. B, like you have different things to draw upon to help them like find the heightening of it it's like there's you don't have to be a like the straight person in the scene like with the kind of prescribed way that maybe you've learned to do scene work at the very beginning people might think that like oh yeah we go along with our base reality and then when this person says something strange oh i've been defined as now i have to be normal and they have to be and it's like no like you can yeah you can frame that as strange, but then also maybe your character agrees with it. And maybe you, then it turns into like a piece in the pod scene. Maybe sure. like there's all these different ways that if you are worried, oh man, I'm the boring person this <laughs> time. And I just have to, oh, I'm just here to do this. Yeah. Then you always have the power to go, uh, maybe I won't be. Maybe the way that I allow the jokes to happen here is in a fun way. And For sure. And I think also like, the side effect also to like even considering that that role is boring is that like you get so many improvisers who just flat out don't listen to each other because they're they're each so keen to be the absurd person yeah and definitely yeah these yeah. scenes where like they're both just spitting absolute nonsense at each other and it's like will one of you <laughs> or at <laughs> least of, both of you lock onto the same thing <laughs> yeah like one of you somebody needs to make a decision here like don't be afraid that that by being in service to the other person's game, then you yourself lose any identity that your character has. Like you can still like, uh, the, just cause you're talking to pigeon murderer, Dan doesn't mean <laughs> that you have to lose your thing where you really love icy poles. Yeah. Like you can, you can always refer back to that and it just becomes like a little sort of simmer and character game underneath it rather than, the game of the scene like for um, sure yeah and i think that's something that's also forgotten all the time is like the game of the scene might be the uh you know the thing that you can clearly define with a sentence uh of what's happening but there's also yeah that that sub game where every time i scratch the chair i cough you know like yeah yeah whatever whatever it happens to be but like those little repeated things that you're doing that are their own little character games and quirks and ticks and if you forget any of them then the the game of the scene is suffering as well because you're not like seeking refuge anywhere safe yeah definitely and it's and it's one of those i feel like having all those different layers is some of the more fun stuff that makes improv so hard to explain to people like right. it's those really fun shows where you're like watching it and you had so many things that have built up over time that when you go to tell someone later you're like ah oh, but then, but then, like, he pulled the lever at the end and you don't really get it because, like, the whole time he'd been almost pulling the lever, but then he didn't. <laughs> like, but it wasn't really the point of it. It was more like a, a, a son-father dynamic where the father was, like, 
acting like a son and the son was acting like the father and but this lever you really got to get the lever <laughs> and it's yeah. just all these different layers of things that you can yeah you can do through your physicality or your object yeah. work or your, your your kind of character games yeah that build these i think is some of the more fun stuff about improv is building this whole world that is difficult to do in any other way for sure and i think um just to uh, segue my way back to you talking about Hillendale for a minute, mm-hmm. um, like, A, a scene needs to go for a, at least, you know, well, a scene can go whatever length you want, but you want to be able to, I think a scene should be structured in a way that it could go for an hour if it had to. If no one ever yeah. edited you, you have the means to survive. Um, and I think that if you, uh, to go back to my example from before, if we find a game, uh, for our scene, but I haven't put the toast in the toaster, then like, I don't know where, like when we run out of things to say to yeah, lighten our game, I don't know what to do. And I'm like, oh, now I'm in my head trying to think of the next funny thing. Mm-hmm. Whereas like the moment we reach a hurdle, I can be like, oh, toast is popped. Yeah. And then like, I can just make the toast and be like, what did you want on this? And we can just like sit in like domestic things for a minute and we could spend fucking five minutes if we had to just yeah. doing like talking breakfast and then be like back to the game <laughs> whenever yeah, we find our way there, you know? You're creating these really nice, uh, like you're creating object work that does kind of some in-scene editing for you yeah. to be like, oh, I'm popping down this toaster and this toaster is going to pop whenever I need it to. Exactly. So I... Yeah, like when you're sitting there and you're like, oh boy, we need to like have a little indicator that we're moving to a different zone now. Oh, yeah. the toast is here. Or, oh, the kettle's boiled. Yeah. Now we can start talking about those more mundane things again and kind of have a little reset before yeah. we get back into our fun thing that we like. And um, because you and Hill in Hill and Dale, mm-hmm. um, you often do like shows that are just one scene. Yes. Well, I originally... I feel like that, as you said, like that kind of ended up happening almost accidentally. Yeah. Like originally we would try and like do maybe like three scenes uh, show, but then, yeah, it's just that thing of you don't end up editing yourself and then you these scenes just have the ability to just keep on going yeah. because hopefully you've laid enough groundwork and laid enough of a realistic world that like fun characters... And in a real world, don't need to end. And yeah. in a real and in a real situation, they would never end. Like yeah. that, you don't cut away. Those people just keep on being fun and <laughs> keep on being funny. Yeah, like it's not about. It's not always about like satisfying. It's like oh well, we've done the game and mm-hmm. that's done now. Yeah, it's like oh okay, these characters like this original sort of scene game is done, but these characters are not done with their whole thing that they're with each other. So they're going to continue living their lives. And why don't we just keep watching that for a little bit and see where that's going to go? Um, Because I have had a lot of students ask me about Hillendale because it is uh, a lot of people's first experience with like that uh, long, like the long form where you guys barely cut away or or never cut away. Um, and people will ask me how you do that and I give them what I think, <laughs> but obviously I'm not either of you. Do you guys have any like philosophies that got you to where you, you are or anything? Or... 
Um, I think we're always we're always trying to keep it simple at the top. I think whether that actually ends up happening, I feel like every show we're like, well, we're going to keep it simple this time. And then sometimes Hill comes out and he's a gremlin like straight away. And <laughs> then it's kind of fine. And then we just kind of make our way from there. But yeah, I, I tend to enjoy kind of those long scenes. You try and get out of that headspace of being like, Oh, I gotta be, I gotta be funny all the time or I gotta be pushing this game all the time because you're like, well, like looking at the clock, I still got like 20 minutes left. Like we can, I can just sit here and it's so helpful for me as a performer when I'm sitting there and I'm like, I don't know what, I don't have anything for this. You have that freedom to just sit there and go, I'm just going to sit here until I know what I'm going to do. And you come off and people are like, Oh man, I loved that bit where you were just sitting there in silence. Like it was such like a deliberate thing and it had so much like power behind it. And I'm like, yes, I didn't know (laughs) what was happening. So I stopped for a little bit. (laughs) Yeah. It felt pretty powerful. Yeah. And I think that's about like, you can do so much of that in that movement and that emotion is if you sit there and you look really like perturbed or something, people are like, Oh man, something's happening in the scene. And obviously the audience can make any kind of connection that they want. I think that takes uh, so much trust and guts as well um, to yeah. like to know that you can sit there. I mean, you can know intellectually uh, mm. that like silence is fine, but when you're up oh, there yeah. doing it, you can be like, they're gonna, they're onto me. They <laughs> they know I'm yeah, not, yeah. I'm not doing this right. But I think like, um, uh, yeah, I was just gonna say that weirdly, I feel like for Hill and I our weird superpower is that uh, my panic move is to like close up and Hill's panic move is to talk a lot. So our panic moves kind of cancel each other out of like, if I'm like, Oh, I don't know what to say. Hill will like fill that space. Yeah. And then, and then like we kind of balance each other out of, yeah. there won't be, there won't be too much silence for too long. Yeah. 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 Um, Cause I tell students all the time that they're, they're allowed to like slow down and, and be, saying nothing for a minute but it's hard to learn because there's such a difference between like the stunned the deer in headlights silence Mm. um that is like showing all of us that you have hit a roadblock you can't get over um and then the the silence that you're talking about where you sit still and stew on something in character that can be actually quite compelling and it's like as soon as you just learn to flip that switch then you can actually slow everything down. And learning to turn deer and headlights silence into deliberate silence and being like, oh boy, oh boy, oh boy, I don't know what I'm doing. And being like, that's fine. I don't need to know what I'm doing. This is improv. I'm just going to sit here for a little bit and that's okay. There's so much stuff at the, so many feelings at the start of, of, of beginning improv that I remember of being like, well, if I'm not talking, everybody knows, everybody knows that I don't know what I'm saying. I don't know what I'm doing. Like everybody can tell what's going on in the audience. It's like, they don't know nothing. I think in terms of, yeah, like Hill and Dale, it's just, yeah, a lot of trust that we've built up over time to be like, oh yeah, I can sit here and Hill isn't like, my silence isn't going to freak Hill out. And if Hill is silent, it's not going to freak me out. Like, I know that we're going to get somewhere eventually. 
and I think most most scenes, yeah, it's about just knowing that stuff will get there eventually. Yeah, that. Uh, I mean, being able to do a scene without the panic of it feeling like there's a job to do, and rather, I just get to live in this, and eventually, I know that something will happen, and and just trusting that is fine, rather than like I've got to make something happen, which is such a difference. It's such a hard. If I was still improvising from the place of I must make something happen, I think I'd be <laughs> like stressed after so many years. And I think even like I will still do that sometimes of just, and it's mostly associated with scenes that I'm not happy with. Right. Is scenes where I've come out and at some point I'm like, oh boy, uh, there's nothing going on here. I really need to like uh, this. I need to make something happen. Yeah. And then you kind of force something and you never really lock into like who you are or like what your character's deal is. And then you're just kind of ping ponging around trying to find yeah. something to latch onto. Yeah. And it's always, it's, it's associated in my head, in my memories as an anxious state to be in yeah. a terrifying state of like, I don't know what, I don't know what that scene even was <laughs> come off and you're like, Oh boy, I don't know what that was. I never locked into anything. I didn't know where I was. I was just standing in the middle of a white empty room. My character had five different character games and the scene had nothing <laughs> because you're feeling like I got to do something when it's like, just, just let it come to you. Let it flow in. Now for a practical nugget. If I, I would say like to just elaborate on something I maybe mentioned and connecting things to animation is like as a technique thing, it is just that thing of there's like a, there's a, uh, like a guide in animation that you want characters and movements to have like a clear silhouette. So yeah, if someone's holding up a key, you need to be able to see even if it's completely blacked out, you need to see that this is a key. And if someone's holding it sort of tight to their body, you can't tell really what's going on. And I would almost say that's such a, that's just something that I take into improv is that if you're holding something, you really sort of hold it out and you hold it clearly and you give yourself like a clear silhouette. It allows the audience to know what's going on and allows your jokes to land that little bit harder all right our suggestion my friend is respected sir i'm just i'm just so happy to be here with you like i can't i can't explain this mentorship program has just been the most incredible thing for me uh Thank you so much for having me. No, no, don't, no, don't even let the words thank you come out of your mouth. We... I'm, I'm learning already. Yeah. Here we go. Yeah, no, because you, you own you own what you have achieved, and we're we're so proud of you here, uh, here, Bill. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. We yeah, think that, you. that you've uh, taken this mentorship by the by the horns, and you really, I mean, we we're keen to just bring you on on board on in a full capacity as soon as possible, really. So that would be that would be so incredible. Like I, I don't deserve anything that, that you've, that you've given me. Like I'm such a, such a lowly little worm and I, no, no, I'm no, sorry. No. I Don't you dare say the word uh, worm. Don't let oh, me your mouth. Okay. Sorry. Okay. Yes. Worm is out, out yeah. of my vocabulary. Yeah. Still learning, obviously. Uh, Cause the, the only flaw that you've got right now, mate, is confidence and 
uh, yeah. I think you need to see yourself for who you really are, and that is a stand-up employee here yeah. at, 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 uh, at Zero Finance. Zero. Yeah, yeah, Zero Finance is the way to go. It's the best company I've ever worked for. Yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> and, uh, you know, obviously I don't deserve to work here. I'm just a hey. just a sloppy hey. little boy. And hey, that's Bill, <laughs> Bill, the yeah, word yeah. sloppy. Uh, yep, sorry. we got to make a whole category, mate, all yep. right, because this word sloppy is... Okay. Is in the category too. And Sloppy and worm are out. I'm not yeah. doing them anymore. No, more. no thank no yous. More. No thank yous. No thank yous. And no self-deprecation. No. <laughs> Why would I even do that? <laughs> Such an idiot to think that hey. I could self-deprecate. Hey, don't yeah, call so, you. No. Come on. Yeah. No. I'm I am. Gonna, I'm yep. getting close to calling your dad. <laughs> now, okay. Come on. And I'm going to so, start yeah. asking him how he raised such a negative self-talker. That's right? true. I'm. I'm good at negative self-talk. Is this what is okay, this good? Okay. No, that's that progress. That's progress. It's progress. Please don't call my dad. I cannot. I cannot have him. I cannot have another one of his stern talking tos right now. So, uh, I, I, I don't need that. Right. Uh, I'm just. I'm just a little lonely boy. I'm just listen. A nothing man, and I can't. If if dad talks down at me one more time, I'm going to be completely crushed. I thought we were going to make it through a, a minute without without that sort of That's, chat. Yeah. yeah, yeah, no, 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 no. That's true. Listen, you, your dad and I, we went to college together. Okay, um, and and some would say, you know, that's why you got the mentorship program uh, uh, position ahead of many more eligible people. True. Um, he has a lot of, of of old blackmail material on you from the yeah, college days. Yeah, he knows. He knows too much about me, but you know what? You know what? Uh, he doesn't. Well, what he also knows about me, I should say, mm. uh, and that's that. That black man material doesn't. Uh, I don't feel shame about any of that because I have good positive self talk about myself. All right, that's how you rise to the top in this world. Okay, yeah, you rise above it. You rise above just blind those... confidence. Yeah, that's so true. Right, your self awareness of your flaws is a flaw uh, that yes i shouldn't have any flaws and i and i don't no i have I, no flaws you have no flaws being I have a no flaws. sloppy little worm boy is a strength and, uh, and i'm gonna take that on i'm gonna okay. be the, i'm gonna be the sloppiest tiniest little stinkiest worm boy that i can be and i'm gonna grovel down in the mud and i'm gonna be proud of it okay and i'm gonna hold that high and and i thank you for for letting me see this side of myself sir Thank you so much. Okay, well, it's not sort of my my point. Sort of isn't to to admit to being a sloppy little worm boy. Um, I'm the biggest, wettest sloppy I, boy, and and I'm I'm taking that on. That's me now, uh, and I'm I'm getting rid of my old self image. I thought that I wanted to be a big businessman. I wanted to work at a finance company, and I wanted to be just like my dad. But really. I need to just give in to what I am and be proud of my sloppy, stinky little nature, wow. and I'll and I'll get down in the mud. I'll I'll wriggle around as much as I need to. Listen, Bill. Uh, let me try to clarify my point for a little bit. Let me tell you a secret. Okay, I what? one of the things that your dad knows about me is that I at our at our previous company I yeah. embezzled, I embezzled a lot of money. Okay. Oh my god. And I um. Yeah, and, and many other more nefarious things, but let's just stick with that one that I'm willing to share with you right now. But okay. I don't go around town telling people that I'm really good at embezzling, okay? 
But you I don't are. tell everyone I've heard so I'm... many good things about it. I've heard that you're incredible at it. No, that's your dad speaking, but he's oh, the only one no. who, who knows. Right? Oh, yeah, of course. Oh, yeah, yeah. And I don't tell everyone that I'm good at tax fraud. Okay? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. These are the things I hide. I tell people I'm just generally good at, at good things, all right? Mm. Whether I finance. am or not. It's nondescript finance. Nondescript. I'm good at spreadsheets. I'm good at numbers. I'm good at calculators. Keep it vague. Keep it vague. And on the down low, you do all the, you do all the wormy, ah. sloppy stuff, all right? So you don't get confident about your sloppy worminess. You get confident about the things that you lack. Okay. Is this advice to, tracking with you? I have to be confident in the things I am not and hide all the deep, dark, shameful parts of myself, repress them deep. Now we're getting it. I am I am a dry man. Yeah. I am not sloppy. <laughs> I'm bone dry. And I stand tall and I've never seen mud in my life. There we go. There you have it, my friends. That was Dale Anderson. Remember, you can check him out on the internet, on Instagram, at Dale underscore Ando. You could see his work on Monster Beach, on Stan. And also, when the theatre opens again one day, you can watch him in Hillendale. Make sure you do that. He's funny. That's it from me. Have a good week, everybody. Thanks for listening to the Improv Conspiracy Podcast. For information about our online comedy writing classes on offer during the COVID-19 pandemic, head to improvconspiracy.com. 